Hello, welcome to Persuade You, the podcast where I, Stephen, recommend to you, the listener, stuff and things I think are worth your time and checking out. So, welcome to part two of my Legend of Korra episode, I guess. The last episode, I discussed the heroes and some of the thematic elements within the Legend of Korra and why I think it's so fantastic, and then this will be the part two and the final version of that. The last episode, before I edited it, was a little over an hour, and I realized that is much longer than my normal episodes are. Now, while some of you may want long content. I know that there are many of you that prefer the shorter, more cut down versions. So I did my best to kind of hit a median of those two. And so it ended up being a little over 30 minutes, I believe. And then this one, I'm going to do my best to keep it roughly around there if possible. Um, This episode will be about the villains and some of the more darker tones of the universe, which again, I think are important, but also a lot of the voice acting, again, is fantastic within this show, and I'm going to do my best to do them all justice. If you haven't seen the show and you're waiting for this episode to come out, this episode is going to have some minor spoilers in there. Obviously, I can't talk about the villains of the series without diving into some of the spoilers surrounding them. I won't get into, like, how they get defeated or, you know, some of the the things that they do that make them villains. Of course, some of them I will dive into, so I just want to warn you ahead of time that there will be some spoilers here. If you don't want any of that and you would much rather go watch the show, I would encourage you to do that, then come back and listen to this. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. All right, so the first villain that I want to talk about is actually the last one in the series. And I think she often gets overshadowed by some of the other villains, but I think overall her character is the most complex one. Uh, I think that I had in the last episode, she was the final character I talked about. It wasn't going to be just a hero's episode. I ended up talking about this character and why I thought she was so great. And I rambled about her for about 15 minutes. And I realized, well, if I just cut this out, I have an entire hero episode and then I can have an entire villain episode. And that made a lot more sense to me. So I did that. And so now you're going to get that part. This character is Kuvira and she is so cool. Now, again, in The Legend of Korra, this is post Avatar Last airbender so metal bending has become prevalent right i talked about this in the last episode everybody knows metal bending if you're an earthbender or at least the vast majority do it's something that you get taught at an early age you know it's it's kind of like advancements in technology and how they uh, trickle down and become more easily accessible to others how we wouldn't have thought that you know tvs would be so affordable back in the 90s uh, or the 80s, even further back. And then now, you know, everybody has a smartphone. And so it's the similar thing with there, especially when learning things, knowledge becomes more widely accessible. And so metal bending, especially uh, in the Earth Kingdom, is something that everybody knows. And so Kuvira is the, we are introduced to her in season three, and she's the captain of the guard for a certain city uh, in the Earth Kingdom. And she is everything you would expect a military leader to be. She's loyal. She obeys her commands. She's very tactical. She knows the ins and outs of her city as well as others and constantly thinks about uh, ways to defend or attack different cities. And she's awesome. What many people don't know is that 
the voice actress that plays her is Zelda Williams. Now, for those of you where Zelda's ringing a bell, but you can't put the two together and you're like, well, this is so much. She's got a cool first name. She is the daughter of Robin Williams. Yes, the famed voice actor and movie actor and all the things. Yes, and uh, I think it was just his, his birthday or the anniversary of his death not too long ago. And so I talked about her for a great deal in the last episode. But uh, as I said, I I cut it because I wanted that episode to be I wanted that episode to make a little bit more sense. And jumping from all the heroes to one villain didn't really do it for me. So Kuvira's voice actress is phenomenal. And I think when many people have talked about the Legend of Korra, she gets skipped over more often than not and it's it's almost stunning i'm in the subreddits a lot and so <laughs> you see the talk of avatar the last airbender but then when legend of korra comes up it's usually about some of the other villains that we're going to talk about or some of the problems or how great korra is or some of the heroes but rarely does kuvira come up and she's not the villain that you think of when we think of like the classic disney villain or when we think of uh like a fairy tale type of villain she's not ugly she doesn't have warts all over her face she's not old and decrepit she is in insane good shape she's beautiful she's able to keep up all appearances as a calm cool collective and manipulative villain and at first we don't see her being a villain we see her i think in season four when when we pick up her arc series three was really the end of her arc or uh the kind of the introduction of her arc rather and we we only get like a small glimpse of her in the background in a few scenes and it's only until season four you're like ah i saw what you guys were doing nice and they they build her up in season four we see her rise up to become a military dictator and throughout in real life history we've seen this many many times especially in cuba that is exactly what happened so it's not unrealistic to see this happen in the earth kingdom after season three the monarchy fell and is a monarchy better than a dictatorship uh, no 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 it's not <laughs> Uh, but they both have, when looking at them on paper, they both have pros and cons. And of course, we're not going to get into what is the best form of political leadership. I don't want to get into all that. But when we look at the basis of the, the monarchy versus a military dictatorship, a monarchy, they derive their power, quote power, or their right to rule from the gods or god, big G. And so when we come to military dictatorship, they derive power from power from having the force and the strength and the masses in order to conquer, in order to rule. And so here we see that play out exactly. The monarchy falls in season three and the entire Earth Kingdom is thrown into chaos. The lower classes rise up to fight against the upper tiers and you you see this class warfare and then it just devolves into utter chaos. And so Kuvira steps up as the leader and starts uniting the Earth Kingdom under one banner. She establishes a tram system or like a train kind of a system, laying down railroads and bringing supplies and much needed people and like a workforce. And she's able to unite these kingdoms and bring them food and medical supplies and all of the things that you need. And so at first we're like, oh yeah, what's the big deal? But then a few other characters are like, yeah, but she's awful. And 
of course, we were, were reintroduced to Bolin, who's now working with Kovira. He's jumped on her side and he's become part of her military. And so he is helping her unite these kingdoms because it's something that he believes in. What we don't see is that throughout entire season four, or at least the majority, Bolin's pretty naive to a lot of the behind the, behind the scenes type of things that Kovira is doing. And Again, I want to attribute this to not only the writing, but the voice acting from Zelda. She is able to portray this character in times of stress when she she needs a rock to lean against. She leans against her fiancé, who is the son of uh, another character in the series, and we see this these little moments of vulnerability from like this rock hard exterior she doesn't seem to let a lot through and in these small little moments you can see that it does take a toll on her and she does feel and she does love and she does care but to all other appearances she doesn't care at all she just wants to unite everybody and then go retire you know like thanos type style where you know she just retires on a farm and has kids and just does whatever she wants and She's able to play these moments of weakness, but also the moments of utter rage, and they come out so clearly, and they're wonderful. There are moments where you can just hear, and like the, the inflection and the tone of voice is just phenomenal. Even though we can't see Zelda doing the acting, the animation comes across beautifully, and I think that's why I think Kuvira is hands down one of the better villains in the series that deserves more recognition. So moving on, another one of the villains that's a very underplayed and is one of the first ones we're introduced to is Tarlock. And I think he often gets underlooked because <laughs> he often gets overlooked because that season is the introduction to the Legend of Korra. And there are many, many more characters to focus on. The The main villain of season one and season two, well, really season one is a completely different character, but season one, we see a more political villain. And I think that this is one that many people, especially nowadays, will resonate with more. I hinted at this in the last episode, and I wanted to dive in a little more here. Tarlock is the epitome of a corrupt villain that also has bending in his background. Many don't know uh, what he can do and what we end up learning down the road Spoiler, if you don't want to know, skip ahead about 30 seconds. Ready? All right, here we go. Spoiler. Tarlock is a bloodbender, which ends up turning into this genetic trait that you can get down the ages after Katara learned it. He becomes a bloodbender, and we don't know this until later in the series. And that turns into this whole huge thing between him and Korra. Okay, spoilers are over. But we, we see this ability to manipulate those around him just politically. We see this kind of council, if you will, of all the different nations. And it's interesting because in the real world, we have a very similar process. We have representatives, at least in America. And I know in parliament, you guys have the same thing. You have representatives for a certain population and they go in and they do their best sometimes to represent the voice of the people, represent representatives. I know crazy, right? And this is where we see a personal interest overrule the interest of the people. In this first season, there's this real big change in Ben and non-benders and it becomes a very you versus them or us versus them mentality and the police force goes out in droves and starts cordoning off non-benders curfew is put in check riots are handled viciously and 
Uh, I may be getting season one and season two confused, so just humor me there. And so what we end up seeing is that the non-benders become the minority. They become the ones that are disenfranchised or become looked down upon. And in the real world, we have that going on right now with Black Lives Matter and then other people that deserve rights and don't have them. It's bananas. And so in this fictional world, we have that exact same thing happening. And Korra, being, you know, the avatar that she is, in one scene, somebody says something to her that I thought really resonated, especially nowadays. One of the non-benders looked to her as she was holding her daughter or son, I can't remember. And she looked at Korra and said, you're our avatar too. And that is... It's, it's kind of used as like this castaway line, this this throwaway piece where Korra, maybe not, maybe not a throwaway, but it, it stuck out to me because in the real world, we have these elected officials and we have these sheriffs and we have these chiefs of police. They're not just police for white people. They are police for black people and Latinos and Hispanics and Muslims and all different races. It's, it's not just one or the other. It's not just one race and then the rest. And we see this play out and we see how Korra realizes this instantaneously and starts fighting back against the corrupt government and the police, which is awesome. Unfortunately, it doesn't play out for her and that's spoilers for another time and, and I won't get into it. But it's it's awesome to see that this, this came out years and years ago. And what we're seeing now in real life is that exact scenario here. And it's why voting is so important. It's why participating in your state and local elections is so important. It's so that you can get those like Tarlock out of office and replace them with people that care about the minorities. And so eventually this does happen and eventually Tarlock does get defeated. But I thought that he is an overlooked villain because of the other villain which he's tied to. And that that can really... I don't think it does service or justice to how great his character was. With that, we're going to piggyback right into our next character. We end up learning that Tarlock is the brother of Amon. Amon is introduced quite quickly as anti-bender. He wants to have a world where there are no benders, aka a world like ours. <laughs> uh, one where you can't bend at all and everybody is, quote, equal. Now, again, this this is one of those concepts which on paper sounds fantastic but if you look at history at all uh, you will see that this isn't the case humans by and large uh, unfortunately love to define each other by certain traits and it's why one of george carlin's uh, one of his most famous skits of all time I'll, I'll try and have it linked below is the things that make us the same because often the powerful will say things to divide the weak so that they can run off with all the money. And he brings up all the things that people like to identify that are different than others. Race, religion, cultural or ethnic backgrounds, wealth, income, social status, things like these. All of those things are used to divide up the masses. And that way we bicker with one another instead of, you know, uniting and fighting back against corrupt politicians and those that have money or power or wealth or influence over the many. And this is one of those situations situations where on paper, it seems that yes, if we took away all bending, then everybody would be on a level playing field. But that's not how this works. Just like in America and around the world, this is one of those great real life parallels 
which we don't really see in Avatar The Last Airbender that is put on front and center in The Legend of Korra. And that is the fact that no matter where you go or what you do, some people are just born into more power or privilege than the rest of us. And so even if you take away all bending, that doesn't stop the fact that some people are born into royalty. Some people are born into wealth or money. Some people are born in poverty in rural areas. Some people are born in the city. Some people are born in the North Pole or the South Pole or the east or the west, it doesn't matter. A lot of people don't have a choice of how and where they're born. And this is something that Amon's character glosses over quite quickly. And he's he uses this in order to manipulate many, many people into a future which he wants, where there's no bending at all because we learn that he basically hates who he's become and hates where he came from. And his backstory is very sad. And of course, Tarlock is the one that ends up giving us a lot of the backstory to Amon, if not all of the backstory, with a few flashbacks from uh, Korra's past lives. And it shows that who you are to many people might not be who you are behind the scenes. Some people have to put on a face when they go into public, and they have to be somebody that they don't like. And it seems that Amon is that. We end up learning that he is a bender himself. What type of bender? We won't get into it because that is a big spoiler and I don't want to ruin it. But we learned that through this type of bending, he's able to take bending from people. And it becomes this, this fear this this obsession uh, with Korra, and I say obsession in the worst way. When it comes to obsession, obsession isn't something that uh, anyone should take lightly. Obsession can ruin your life, and this is exactly what happens with Korra. Korra has this huge fear of having her bending taken away, and rightfully so. She's the Avatar, and since she was a kid, she was just rocking people's worlds with her fighting ability but she has this because of her bending and she she fears that without this she'd be a nobody and the world would devolve into chaos now throughout the course of this season we really get to see tenzin jk simmons voicing him help her out in many many ways but what's more is we see the the avatar gang really rally together and this is where they kind of bond and become this force to be reckoned with from bolin mako and asami and then Korra, and that is really the core group and they really do a lot and they help each other and Korra eventually is able to get over this, get over this fear and face down the man that she's feared for so long and overpower him after learning some of the secrets that he's been hiding. But at the end of the day, he is one of the better villains. And I think if you look at some of the things that he does and the way that he talks to people, you can see some parallels to the real life world. And to round this out, I want to talk about my favorite villain. My favorite villain is Zaheer. And he is my favorite villain because he is the one that you understand where he's coming from. These are my favorite types of villains. And I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. I'm, I'm very excited because the moment he comes on screen, the moment moment we see him, we understand that there's something different about this guy. He is smart. He is ruthless. He is intelligent. He knows a lot more than he leads on. He likes to read. And for all intents and purposes, he has more Buddhist type of beliefs than anything else. At the end of one of the seasons, what Korra ends up doing is basically altering the world slightly. And the world, in order to balance itself, creates more airbenders. 
And this is pretty interesting because when we were talking on our last episode, we talked about how Tenzin had to wrestle with the fact that he was like the last airbender when his father passed away. And then of course he has kids. Those kids were born before this. And so they are well into their airbending training. And then throughout the series, we see more and more airbenders pop up and how Tenzin has to become this leader that he's never had to really be before. Sure, he's the face of the airbending nation, but he's never had to teach new airbenders. He's never had to show why it's so great to be an air nomad because, you know, giving up all your worldly possessions and becoming somebody that practices spirituality and focuses on training and being one with nature and all of the things that make this culture so great is not easy when you've grown up in a life of say luxury, where you are used to all of these different things that make your days easier or little uh, vices that we all have. And so he comes out this very brash and, uh, and it's kind of hard to think of Tenzin as like in your face when, you know, he's trying to, you know, get you on his side, but he does, he comes off a little too, little too forward. He's like, oh man, this is going to be so great. Everybody's going to join. It's going to be fantastic. And then he learns that, oh no, wait, maybe... Maybe not. It uh, doesn't sound very great when I say it out loud. And so we see this wrestled with him. But one of those new airbenders that's created is here. And he is part of a new villainous cult, I guess we'll call it. In Avatar The Last Airbender, we had the White Lotus. And this was a secret society from all around the world, no matter your nation, that came together to help one another, to spread knowledge and peace. The Red Lotus is similar-ish in that they are from all around the world, regardless of bending, and they want to overthrow the status quo. They want to make the lower tier people, the, uh, the middle and lower classes, rise up against the powerful against the elites. And when you hear that, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Those people with all the money, they're screwing up society. Take them down. Obviously, they're corrupt. They do things for money instead of for people. This makes total sense. Monarchies are outdated. They suck. Take them out. Sure. Again, this is one of those things that on paper seems perfect. Until you start peeling back the layers and you look at what this actually means. If you do this abruptly and quickly, there's a power vacuum. We see this many, many times. There is a great book called Overthrow by Stephen Cassick, and it basically talks about many of the different times that the United States has either secretly or not so secretly gone in and overthrown a government. I know, right? The, the title of the book being the like the, the plot? No, 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 no. Uh, but it was a really great book, and it really, really helps to widen the eyes of somebody that grew up in America to some of the things that are bad, uh, some of the awful, awful things that this country has done. And of course, to many of those of you that are living in other countries, you're like, yeah, no, yeah, duh. Yeah, America's not great. You guys do terrible things all the time. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But the schools don't teach a lot of that. But again, that's a that's a subject for another podcast, which uh, I might start talking about as the weeks go by. However, back to our topic. So the power vacuum idea. We have Zaheer is part of this four-man group, if you will. And I say four-man, not as a gender thing, as just like a four-person type of a group. Now, he ends up becoming the airbender, and they were terrible, terrible people before they were all locked up. And now, every one of those members is locked up in a very separate country, in a very, very intense 
cell. He is locked up, ironically, at the top of a mountain, and he gets airbending, and he does a lot of reading, and he ends up breaking out, storming all of the other cells, gathering his members together in order to form this group. And it's wonderful to see villain that we understand his motives. He's not treated well. The White Lotus has become, I want to say, somewhat toxic. They aren't who they should be. And of course, this again is another parallel to many things we see in the real world. The White Lotus is becoming more of a police force than anything else. And uh, they treat these villains terribly. They don't treat them at all like Uncle Iroh would. Uncle Iroh was understanding and was very calm when it came to trying to understand those that didn't see the same way that he did. That with being the exception of Azula, but even then he didn't want Azula to die. He just said she needs to go down, meaning she needs to be toppled so Zuko can assume the throne. And here we see Zaheer fight back against the White Lotus and defeat them quite easily multiple times. And again, this is one of those great moments where you start to identify with him. Zaheer doesn't like the White Lotus. He thinks that they've become corrupt. He doesn't like the monarchy of the Earth Kingdom. He thinks that uh, the, the queen there has become too powerful and she's hoarding all the wealth for herself. And this does become true, we, we do end up seeing this, but what we don't see is some of the darker elements of airbending. Now, in Avatar The Last Airbender, we do get to see the darker elements of certain types of bending, say water bending. We see Katara learn how to blood bend, which again is one of those types of bending where you never really think about it. We, we talk about how uh, it's very akin to Magneto's type of bending when there's a lot of iron in someone's blood and he just controls them entirely and rips it from their body. Katara does the same thing, except she uses the water in our body and now we're like three quarters made of water water, so that makes total sense. Zaheer, on the other hand, learns two different types of bending which are extremely cool. One, he learns how to fly, and I don't mean with like a kite or a balloon or anything like that. Like, he legit like Superman flies, and this dives into what he says is entering the void, which is something that Aang and Katara were both, or uh, Korra were both taught, is that you need to surrender up all your attachments to the earthly world in order to ascend, in order to reach enlightenment. And this is a very common practice in many, many Eastern religions. And so he is able to finally rid himself of his last attachment, which is his partner, his the, the woman that he's loved for decades. She's eventually killed in a pretty brutal way. Uh, again, this is one of those things that we don't really touch on, but like death is very, very real. And you're like, oh yeah, she's no definitely dead, but I, I won't tell you how, but it it's, it's brutal. After that, he's being charged at by the heroes of the series and he has real no way to escape. And so he meditates quickly and is able to shed all of this, clears his mind and begins to fly, controlling the air currents around him and propelling him up backwards side, you know flying, which is remarkable. And even Aang couldn't do this. He was so attached to Earth and to the people that he loved and cared about. Not, you know, is this a good or a bad thing? You know, that's all to uh, interpretation. But Zaheer is able to fly because of this, because he doesn't have any attachments. And that's immensely cool to see that because it's one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, airbending, I'd fly all over the place. But you're like, yeah, but do you know how much control that is to be able to control all the air around you? Not to mention, make sure that air is flowing in and out of your lungs, right? Because if you're in a jet stream, those, those winds are rocketing 
at hundreds of miles an hour. And that's why when you go east to west, uh, you're able to cut down flying time because many of those planes enter the jet stream and they're able to conserve fuel and let the wind basically propel them forward. When you're going west to east, you're fighting against those jet streams. And so you slow down and you have to use more gas and it takes more time. These are those little things that you don't really think about, much like breathing. Breathing is something we, we don't really have to think about unless we're in turmoil, whether we're stressed or we're underwater or we're at great altitude or we just came back from a heart like a long run or an intense workout. Breathing just happens. Now, in Avatar and uh, The Legend of Korra, one of those things that we don't ever really talk about is why can't an airbender just suck the air out of somebody's lungs and kill them? We see this in The Legend of Korra. We see this darker part of airbending, which again is something we don't really think about or see in Avatar The Last Airbender. Aang is so pure and so kind and so caring that to do something like this would be against everything that he was ever taught or knows. And so to go against the teachings of the monks that he was uh, educated by and the beliefs that he holds so true in order to rip the life out of somebody is something that he struggles with all the way up until he fights the Fire Lord. Zaheer, on the other hand, is a villain. He didn't care. He is there to accomplish a mission, to kill the Queen of the Earth Kingdom. He does this by ripping the air out of her and suffocating her. Basically, he creates a bubble around her head, sucking the air out of it, and then siphoning that air off into the room while also creating a protective bubble to prevent more air from going down into her lungs. She eventually suffocates and dies. Now, we don't see her die on screen. We see her gasping for breath, and she does eventually die. And then this eventually comes back around to Korra. And this is one of those times where I really, really love this villain because he does this to Korra, and it causes immense stress and pain and anguish. And she doesn't die, but um, you know her friends and family end up coming to her rescue, and uh, Zaheer is locked away. Yay, happy ending, right? But no, that moment, that intense stress causes her PTSD. She ends up unable to bend for a very long time and she's confined to a wheelchair and these many, many different things. And she goes through many transformations in this season, both in spiritual and physical. And what's ridiculous is that she's doing all this and we later learn that she still had this poison inside of her, not just like a mental type of a poison. Like um, she's thinking of Zaheer constantly and, and how he almost killed her, but literally poison inside her and she's been able to function all this time with that inside her but she was never able to go into the avatar state because of this and of course we see that paralleled to the last season of avatar the last airbender when ang was dealing with after being shot with lightning he wasn't able to go into the the avatar state and so we see this avatar conundrum pop up how do they deal with that life of of being undercover and kind of understanding who you are now now that you know that you are mortal and you're not a god and you can be defeated. And so this is a path that Korra has to walk. And near the end, what she realizes is that she needs to confront Zaheer. And she goes to him in prison where he's down, like he's buried under all this rock and under constant surveillance. And she goes to him. And of course, you know, just because he's locked under all this rock, he's not a not airbender. So we see him kind of floating in the air as in a teacher pose. He's they're meditating and he's able to enter the spirit world at will and in that sense he's not really trapped 
he's able to enter the spirit world and kind of do whatever he wants there. And this angers Korra because she can't go into the spirit world at all. She can't enter the Avatar state and she blames him for this. And this is one of those things where Zaheer becomes the best villain. We think of Zaheer as this cold-blooded killer that he has one mission and nothing else matters. But what it ends up being is that he's focused, he's driven, and he is very spiritual. He just uses all of those in ways that the, you know, the normal person wouldn't. And so she starts having these flashbacks as he tries to help her into the spirit world. No malice, because he knows exactly what needs to go down. He hears about Kuvira, and because he is who he is, he knows that she needs to go down as well. He knows that she is corrupt, she has too much power, she is ruthless and she needs to be killed or taken out in some way. And now he would kill her, but of course Korra is not going to. So she needs to be able to go into the Avatar state, be able to go into the spirit world. And she basically asks him to help her. And this is one of those moments where you think that, oh man, Zaheer is going to pull a sneaky. He's going to like pull her into the spirit world and then enter her body or something right now. And now we're going to have like a, a dark avatar or something like that. Again, spoilers. But really he doesn't because he knows that she is the one that has to do this. He knows what she's going to do. And of course, because this time their beliefs and ideologies and what they know needs to happen line up, he's going to help her like an ally. And so he helps her get into the spirit world. And as she's having these flashbacks, he's just telling her, he's like, no, you got to push through this. And this is a lot of like how therapy works. Therapy, there are a lot of, uh, many people have these, these um, dark traumatic pasts. And in order to come to terms with that, in order to move past that and be able to grow and learn from those experiences, oftentimes you have to relive your darkest memories. And unfortunately, Cora has to do this. And the man that caused all this pain is sitting feet from her. And of course, that's not an easy thing to do. Anyone would be scared to the bone, wouldn't be able to move. But because he's there and because he understands what's going on, he's able to help her push past through this, live the memory. He's like, no, 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 stay, stay. You need to go through the entire thing, the entire memory. And so she does. Many times before this, we've seen her stop and she wakes up at the moment where she's being suffocated the same way the Earth Queen was. But he tells her to move, move past this. He's like, no, 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 just keep going. It's going to be okay. I'm right here. And he helps her through this as a mentor would. And eventually she pushes past this and she gets into the spirit world. And he's like, yeah, see, told you. You could do it the entire time. And it's great because we were able to see these two very different characters uh, work together for a common goal. And that's it's really cool. Uh, one minor note before we wrap up here. One of my favorite things about this entire series has been how the writers and animators and voice actors handle those with disabilities. I think many times when it comes to writing people with disabilities, writing people that aren't able to do the same things a quote-unquote normal person would be able to do. And many times in society, when we ask questions of these people, it's seen as taboo or you shouldn't do that. I have an episode linked below, a recent kind of funny, we have cool friends episode. One of the men there, I think his name is Steve or, or Steven, ironically enough, he talks about how What's really hard now nowadays is that so many people are focused on racial rights 
and helping those you know rise up and be able to get the things that they need and deserve but many people forget about those with disabilities whether you are you know black white doesn't matter because those with disabilities are still uh kind of looked down upon and he he brings up this example of like this one time he was at a convention i think and this this uh, mother was there with her son and her young son like walked up and was like what's wrong with you and now is that like the proper way to go about asking somebody about their disability no of course not and you should have a talk with your son about you know how to approach people but don't don't cut down their curiosity. It's okay to be curious. And by being curious, you're able to break down these walls and learn more. Not understanding is how stereotypes are built. And by understanding what's going on, you're able to move past these and fight for people that are don't have the same abilities or rights that you do. Accessibility is a huge thing in video games, but it's not where it should be. And in The Last of Us Part Two, they did a fantastic job of increasing settings for the those that need the accessibility features. And in The Legend of Korra, we, we see this brought up again of how those with disabilities or those that don't have the same look or feel or, or what have you as a quote unquote normal person does, but they are still so pivotal to what's going on. And one of those characters in Zahir's group has no arms. We we don't know the backstory of how her arms got cut off. We don't know why. It's irrelevant. However, she is one of the most powerful waterbenders you will ever see. And the things that she's able to do, not having arms, she uses water to create these arms. And by having water on her at all times, she's able to do wicked things. And it's super cool. But again, it is never really said because it's who she is. And in Avatar The Last Airbender, we have Toph, who is blind. But again, the the show just kind of laughs it off and she becomes like this huge, awesome, important, best, most powerful vendor that we've ever seen despite her disability. And this is something remarkable and something that you love to see. I think The Legend of Korra, as we come to the end of this, is one of those shows that is so great, so powerful, and is gonna still go down in history as one of the best shows to ever be on TV. It's recently just came to Netflix as of the 14th, uh, whenever this airs. And so 14 August 2020, you will be able to watch Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra on Netflix in HD. That's pretty great. Now, of course, that's in America. In other countries, you guys have had it for years. And so please don't at me and rub it in. I know because I bought these years ago and I uh, rewatched them recently. So I think for those of you that really want to get invested in this series, I think, of course, there are many moments where in any series, there are kind of a couple filler episodes. But overall, this is a great show. And it deserves all the love and recognition of that. The voice actors and actresses are phenomenal. The animation is fantastic. The writing, the music, ugh, the music is so good. And I think it's definitely worth your time. There's also some graphic novels you can look into for those of you that want to know what happened after season four and the finale there. We, we have books that go into that. And even in the Avatar The Last Airbender, there are books that talk about Avatar Kyoshi. I believe two books are out as of this year, and you can get those on. Kindle or physical or audiobook. They're all available, so you can go check those out as well. And a minor preview of what's coming up. I want to let you know that, remember when I talked about Persuade Me, the kind of spin-off little thing that I wanted to get started where I can have guests on talk about uh, things that they're passionate, things that they want to recommend? Well, that's finally coming back now that things are kind of stable and I, I have a strong enough internet that I can support all this stuff. Our first guest will be 
<laughs> Dr. Vikram Baliga, and he is the host of the Planthropology podcast, which is a seriously great show. Fantastic, easy to recommend to anybody. And that episode will be coming out shortly. Uh, it will be airing after this one. Can't tell you when in the week. It will just go up and you will be able to see it, of course. Because these episodes have a guest, they will be longer format, but you will still be getting your Persuade You episodes every week. So I hope you'll look forward to that. He's a fantastic host of his own show and comes on this one as just a wonderful, he's, he is one of the most positive people I've ever known and I'm thankful and grateful to have met him. So I hope you all will join us when that episode comes out and leave tons of feedback and definitely go check out his show. So that's going to do it for this week and I will see you next time. Okay, bye.